don't have to change who you are to be a physician. This tent is big enough for the essence of you. There was this idea of who I was before I actually was who I was. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and so there's this narrative that's created about you. And, and so I felt like I really needed that space to figure out who I am and what I wanted to do. And there was this very um, competitive kind of cutthroat atmosphere around. Um, right. And and that was just not something that I wanted to be a part of. What are the, the social factors? What are the structural factors? What are all of the pieces at play? And what are the internal motivations and things that are influencing whether or not someone wants to take the medication that I know what it does. Hey everyone, my name is Sydney Grefsheim and I am representing the American Medical Student Association at the University of Minnesota as the former Public Relations Director and the new Treasurer for the 2023-2024 to academic year. We are so excited to launch our podcast. We will be bringing in numerous health professionals such as physicians, PAs, nurse practitioners, residents, medical students, and other pre-med students to further enforce the sense of community, advocates available to you all, and support, inform, and inspire you in your individual pre-med journey. You just heard some clips from today's interview as Hannah Marone interviews Dr. Westby. Dr. Westby talks about finding her individuality within medicine and her career and finding her specific niche that is focused on equity and justice while still maintaining her successful professional career as a physician. So keep listening to learn more from Dr. Westby. Today I'm here with Dr. Westby. Um, what a wonderful person. I've read so much about you. <laughs> and um, she is in family med with us today. I'm Andrea Westby. Um, my pronouns are she and they, and I'm at um, in the Department of Family Medicine and Community Health. Uh, I have a bunch of different roles there, um, but I'm a family physician um, at heart, and, and there's a lot of kind of pieces of that. I don't know if that's something we want to get into right away, or. Um. Why did you become a physician? It's a little bit of a big one. Um, and then what made you choose family medicine specifically? Yeah, great questions. I feel like I'm back writing my uh, medical school application <laughs> essays. I have to think back to what was the original reason I went into medicine. I think ultimately, um, if, I, if I really look back, I think probably the main reason why I ended up in medicine was because um, I couldn't really see myself doing anything else. <laughs> um, I am the oldest of four girls. Um, my family, I'm the first generation college student. Um, wow. My dad is uh, a farmer um, and my mom at the time um, was uh, spent her time kind of raising us and then um, started working at the library in town um, and actually we graduated from college the same year um, so she did um, her bachelor's degree at the same time that I did um, and then went on to graduate school um, after that so um, when you know there was just this you know big focus on education and taking care of community and being part of a family um, and so when it started kind of thinking about like what can I do what should I be doing it just medicine really became part of that um, my grandmother was a nurse my sister's a nurse my other sister's a dental hygienist and I have a social worker sister as well um, aunts and and um, my dad's side is mostly um, in the farming world and some teaching okay. but it just felt like that was what the right thing to do was for me um, in how I kind of showed up in the world um, I always have had a really big focus on equity and justice and really kind of thinking about how um, everyone has you know a right to health and a right to um, you know pursuing their biggest wildest dreams or Absolutely. not kind of based on <laughs> on their own autonomy and so um, I think medicine really felt like a good place to use the knowledge that I had the experiences that I had and and that focus mm -hmm. yeah that's a great answer thank you tell us where you grew up so you grew up on a farm I'm guessing I did yeah um, I went to Pelican Rapids High School actually um, lived in the same house um, all the way through um, 
until I left for college. Um, it's a town of about, at the time, about 2,000, um, 2,300 people, probably about like that again now, um, up uh, near Detroit Lakes and Fergus Falls, so kind of in northwest Minnesota. And it's a really interesting place. Um, there is a, a pretty large immigrant and refugee community um, oh, wow. in Pelican Rapids now, so there's uh, quite a bit of racial and um, ethnic and language diversity in town, which is kind of unusual for a small town in Yeah, that Minnesota. is pretty interesting. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it's it's such a fun, kind of vibrant place, and, and um, yeah, there was a, definitely a lot of that. Um, and so my, I grew up actually on a farm um, that was about two miles from the home farm where my uh, grandparents were and, and kind of the homestead farm. So um, we had dairy and when I was growing up we had hogs and then we did a bunch of the um, feed uh, related to those. So right. that was kind of a primary part of that. That's actually really cool. Yeah. So you got to experience kind of the small town vibes mm -hmm. and you have like that really big diversity, um, fortunately. I'm from Montana, so um, we, I did not get any diversity whatsoever, mm -hmm. um, unfortunately. But I, when I moved here for college, I got to see that a lot and experience it so much. And I love just seeing all the different backgrounds and you know everything. And it definitely gives you more perspective. And I wanted to see that, knowing you know there are more than my life experiences out there, obviously. So yeah. it was really nice to see that. And I also grew up in a small town. Um, I'm not quite sure how small compared to yours, but um, it was definitely a, quite a different change from Minneapolis, so. Yeah, it sounds like it. Well, and I think that that um, experience of being able to kind of get away, so I, I did college at the um, Pacific Lutheran University in Tacoma, Washington, so I also moved out of state and kind of um, was desperate to get away from the like very small town, right? Like right. I had a very big family and it seemed like everyone in my town was related. And so there was this idea of who I was before I actually was who I was. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and so there's this narrative that's created about you. And, and so I felt like I really needed that space to figure out who I am and what I wanted to do. Um, and what, actually when I was in college, I, I decided I didn't want to do medicine. So I had gone to college thinking I wanted to do medicine. And while I was there, the people I experienced who um, uh, were in my group who wanted to do medicine, there was this very um, competitive, kind of cutthroat atmosphere around. Um, right. And and that was just not something that I wanted to be a part of. It and seems so, so scary. It does, yeah. And I was like, well, if this is what doctors are like. I don't think this is the place for me or the <laughs> like, thing that I want to do. Is my pediatrician had to go through this? Totally. Seem, like, they seem so nice. Exactly. Yeah, and I just, I, that wasn't the world I wanted. So I spent a couple of years working um, as a nurse's aide. I um, ultimately ended up being about seven years that I had um, that training. I started doing that in college and then did that for a time afterwards. Um, and at some point, kind of during my break after college, before I kind of really knew what I wanted to do, it was like, you know what, I, I think I really do want to do medicine. And I interviewed um, at the University of Minnesota for medical school, um, and I did early decision, which I don't even know if they do that anymore, but it was a, an opportunity where I interviewed early in the summer, and if I was accepted, I was like guaranteed to be here. And so I knew in October that I was coming to the University of Minnesota for the following year. And I did that essentially because when I met people here, it felt like, oh, you have pass-fail courses and people actually want to help each other and it was really collaborative and it didn't feel as cutthroat and competitive and scary as I was afraid that it might be. So um, that's ultimately why I ended up here. And it's so been, and the, it specifically used medical school, it felt more like a family and learning together? Yeah. Competitive? Yeah, I mean, I think that at that point, I mean, this was 2005, <laughs> like 2004, right? So this is a long time ago, I'm so old now. Uh, but at that point, the idea of pass-fail courses or pass-fail exams was just like non-existent. And so the fact that they had already gone to the first two years um, being pass-fail just really changed the dynamic. And so when I was around the students and I got a chance to interact with people, it's like, wow, people actually really do care about whether or not you're learning um, yeah. versus 
not telling people when there were exams or if you missed a class, they would like give you crappy notes or something. That wasn't happening. Um, so it was a really positive experience in that way. It didn't feel like there was quite as much hierarchy um, yeah. when I was doing stuff. In, um, in our club, we've had uh, med student panels, and it seems like that's what it's like. Um, I mean, we've had M1 through 4 um, on the panel, and it seems like, oh, they're all talking. They're all, you know joking around they're like oh wait till you see your uh m3 year where it all changes from textbook to patient exams what kind of obstacles did you have to overcome throughout your journey of becoming a physician yeah well i think one of them was not really having any of the background you know with being the first one in my family to go to college like we just didn't really know what we were getting into or right. kind of what that path would look like um, I did have a family friend who was working as a physician who, like, I had to read my med school essay, <laughs> you know, yeah. um, and that was pretty much all the guidance, really, that I had at that point. And so um, I think one of the things that is so much better now is actually the ability to network and to get some of that that yeah. mentorship and, and shepherding, but it's still disproportionate who can access it um, and what's sure. available to people. So I think that's a, a barrier that I definitely overcame. You know, there have been a lot of mental health challenges along the way. Um, For sure. Yeah, and, and that was not something that we talked about. Um, a lot of the things that had been present for me in college in that couple of years were really you know, very secretive. There were things I couldn't talk about, you know, going into medical school or that felt very stigmatized that now I feel like we are able to have a conversation around that, like, physicians are humans, right. uh, medical students are humans, we're all humans, and that there can be a lot less stigma around um, some of those challenges as, as that comes up and, and goes through. Um, so that's definitely part of it. Also, you know, financially, um, is definitely yeah. a piece of that that um, I don't think it's ever going to go away. I know, I know. I would love to see uh, some changes in you know student loans and like student loan repayments and all of the political things that are out there. But exactly. it is it's a huge investment, um, and I think you know that is a detriment to having. Uh, a really great physician workforce when we're done with it because sometimes people feel like they've committed to the point where there's no going back when maybe this you know path is something they want to do anymore you know they want to move on to something different that's not clinical care uh, but right. they feel trapped um, by the amount of money they've invested in their mm -hmm. education so um, yeah I think that's that's another kind of big piece yeah. some undergraduate loans because I Made, made the mistake of going to a public or a private school instead of a public school. Excellent choice, University of Minnesota students. Um, <laughs> and so I had, you know, loans from that. And, you know, I grew up in a, a family that was relatively economically disadvantaged. And so we just didn't have a, a ton of um, extra funds. So, you know, medical school was all loans. Um, and I feel very lucky that um, out of residency, I received a, a loan repayment um, grant from the state of Minnesota that was only given out to a couple of people um, for oh. rural health work. So when I graduated from residency, I moved um, to Purim, Minnesota, which is about half an hour away from Pelican Rapids, so it's um, close to my hometown. And I spent four and a half years there um, doing rural full-spectrum family medicine um, and was able to pay off a huge chunk of my loans um, during that time period. So by the time I joined the U, I was essentially student loan free. Just from a pre-med perspective, um, I know it was a, it's a different time. I'm just kidding. <laughs> 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 um, what pre-med class was the most difficult for you? Mm. I'd say uh, probably PCAM. Uh, mostly because I don't like it. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, yeah. what is, what is the P stand? Oh, yeah, sorry. For, in, at, uh, my school's physical chemist, like, kind of just okay. the, yeah, physical chemistry stuff. 
I liked organic chemistry. I know people complain about it a lot, but there was something about the fact that it was like building blocks of life that like made it more fun and easy sure, for me. Yeah. I don't know. It, um, I really enjoyed it. I also had a very odd and very fun um, organic chemistry instructor who... That's always great. It, it makes, makes such it a better. huge yeah. difference. Yeah. 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 So probably that or physics. I, I like to joke that I have a that I brain vomit for physics. It's like <laughs> Ipecac for my brain, um, which means I will learn it for a test and I will immediately spit it back out as soon as the test is over. <laughs> and then forget it. Again. And forget everything after that, which isn't like totally true because I can apply physics in a clinical perspective, but right. I will not do um, physics for fun. I do like the biomechanics part of physics. Um, where, you know, different levers of the body, and that's important, you know, as far as muscle can, um, contractions and everything, but I definitely don't think I could be talking about seesaw outside of medicine. <laughs> yeah, it's so funny, because I, I feel like now some of the courses that I took that have been most instructive or, or really so integral to the work that I do on a daily day-to-day day -day basis is so much less the biochem and and physics and PCAM and you know other stuff that that was very sciencey. Um, you know, it was my sociology course, it was my psychology course. You know, it was a really? lot of like, yeah, I mean, just really thinking about complex systems and relationships and um, society and structures and socialization and all of that is is so relevant to my day-to-day. In the work I'm doing right now, that it's like I've almost kind of moved all the rest of it into deep freeze. Interesting. Totally. So you 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 said you're a family physician at the moment, right? I am. Yeah. So you see anywhere from a pregnant woman to broken arm, right? Yes. For a kid. So yeah. anywhere across the spectrum of medicine. So you said that you apply like. Um, more sociology and psychology to mm -hmm. your practice today. Do you mm -hmm. see, are you finding that you're treating patients more for mental health then? Or, yeah, I think um, there's been a transition in that over time, I think, with my practice. Sure. I'm, there's definitely, you know, some of the core of what we think of as, um, you know, physical medicine stuff, right? So I'm treating diabetes. But really, to be able to effectively treat diabetes, I also have to understand what are the the social factors, what are the structural factors, what are all of the pieces at play, and what are the internal motivations and things that are influencing whether or not someone wants to take the medication that I know what it does, right? And so there's a lot of um, really thinking about a person in the context of their relationships and their um, systems and structures and how that all looks that influences their choice and also how um, effective the treatments that I learned about in medical school are going to be for an individual Absolutely. Um, by whether or not they're able to take them or afford them or um, yeah and how it's going to kind of show up and, and work in their bodies so yeah so there's a definitely a lot of that um, and then there's like straight up talking to people about mental health um, but really a lot of the science is is kind of couched in in relational um, work and motivational interviewing and really thinking about the psychology of um, how people want to know or don't want to know about their disease process and how wow. all that entails. I appreciate that. You know, looking, I have shadowed a PA before mm -hmm. um, who kind of ran the urgent clinic for the day, um, urgent care clinic, and it was really nice to see that, you know, she would always prescribe the generic brand, you know, mm -hmm. because if she knew that it's literally the same stuff except for the name and it, it's just price pricing that all that matters is that that's what she considered, you know. Mm -hmm. It's really nice to see that physicians nowadays are caring for, hey, is this relationship going to work? Is this going to be able to work around their busy schedule? Are they able to come in again to see me? And that's really important, especially nowadays. And I really appreciate that you know, that physicians are looking at that nowadays. There's also a, a really important piece that um, is a focus on um, shared decision making or really, you know, knowing that 
there are a whole bunch of treatment options that could likely all result at an optimal outcome, right? But that mm -hmm. different people have different preferences based on so many different factors, um, you know, cultural, individual values, money, you know, exactly. all of the other stuff kind of plays in. And so being able to present the range and say, like, you know, the studies are best for this from what we see. Um, and really the studies are best for what you can do and what's going to match with what you're motivated to do. And so what are your thoughts on kind of these different things and figuring out um, what's important to people to really help them be able to kind of tailor a treatment process. Um, and yeah, so really kind of sharing, using like the scientific knowledge that I have and all of the, the research on what's effective, what's not, how it might show up in different places. And then, and being able to present that in a way that a patient feels like they can choose what's gonna work best for them. I feel like that's really the ultimate role for physicians versus being like, this is the thing that's gonna treat your your disease yeah, process. Yeah, exactly. Um, it's like, well, it could, <laughs> but it might not. Um, and also, I know just psychologically, having the option of choice makes people way more comfortable, you know, choosing, oh, I'd rather have a pill than an injection or something like that, you know? Exactly. And it, I think that that's a really nice thing to look at. And it's, it sounds like you have it handled. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know about that. It's always a work in progress, right? right. But um, I think that is one of the things that um, is really important. And also taking into context, like historical inequities and um, different ways that socialization and systems of oppression have affected how people are kind of treated and had conversations with. And we were just doing a... a I don't know if it was a, I think it was kind of a journal club. <laughs> One might be able to call that. But it was just differences and preferences um, for shared decision making in this group of African American patients um, and how, like, providing the context and really a lot of um, history, understanding that history and being able to, like, really show up intentionally with a lot of information so people can feel like they're informed. Um, was really important to folks. And then also that individual decision-making wasn't always individual, that actually people wanted their communities to be part of that decision-making process. And I think a lot of times we have really focused on like the single patient in front of you, but if a patient preference is to bring in other family members or partners or friends or something to kind of like help make those decisions, we shouldn't, ultimately it's their decision, right. but we should include that if that's a preference. Um, yeah. So, good reminder. You talked about um, kind of second-guessing your decision um, in undergrad years. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, did you have, like, a plan B ever? <laughs> or were you just, like, gun-ho about medicine? Uh, I don't really like medicine, but I'll try, like, nursing and then back to it. Yeah, <laughs> great question. I honestly don't know that I thought all that much about really the rest of life, right? Like at that, time, sure. at that time frame, it was like, I don't know, I'll just do a thing. Um, I had thought about doing nursing. My sister was already in nursing school and I was like, yeah, I could maybe do that. Um, I applied to a PA program. It's kind of a funny story. I um, applied to the one that was at her nursing school that was essentially like a three-year program. And so it was, it was set up so that you would actually apply when you were in undergrad okay. and then you would go into it and it was three-year program which is not a usual and that was the only one I applied to and I didn't get in and they were like well you just go to med school <laughs> and I was like but I applied to your program and they're like but I want that one <laughs> exactly and so then it was after that that I thought okay sure I'll take the MCAT and figure this out okay. um and it was really funny because at the time I actually checked a MCAT review book out from the library, which turns out to have been old. <laughs> so I showed up on the day of the exam and realized there was a narrative portion that I had not studied for because that was not part of the, <laughs> the book that oh I'd done. Um, so that was a little stressful, but it all worked out in the end. Um, clearly. <laughs> clearly, because there I am. Yeah, um, and so I kind of like toyed with a number of different um, paths in, into medicine. Um, and I, I don't know that I necessarily really knew about what other options were there. You know, I was surrounded sure. by, um, you know, my family um, mostly had not 
done advanced degrees. We did not have a lot of like other options. You know, who knows what I would have picked if I would have known more about what right. the, the health systems are out there. But, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm happy as a physician. I just am grateful now for all of the ways that people are able to explore what those options are and really enter into medical school really thoughtfully. Um, and kind of knowing what they're getting into. <laughs> I completely agree. That's uh, interesting that you, you're just more of like, go with the flow a little bit, even though there's some side, some road bumps. Personality-wise, do you feel that you're a natural leader? I'm at the Broadway Family Medicine um, Clinic, which okay. is a University of Minnesota Physicians Clinic. Okay. And then I'm um, part of the, in the department. So, yeah, so I'm like, but I'm in a leadership role, <laughs> so there is there is a leadership piece of that. Um, yeah, I think people who know me since I was little would say I'm a natural leader in that I'm bossy and I think I know the right <laughs> answer all the time. <laughs> uh, but, you know, therapy has helped with growth in that way, and now I'm much more open to other people's um, uh, opinions and approaches and really thinking about um, trying to come to consensus and really uh, finding a way forward. Uh, for folks um, uh, so that we can all feel invested. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, medicine is a, often a teamwork. You work with nurses, you work with uh, the administrators, you work with patients, you, you know, there's not a time where you're not working with people. So I would definitely say you'd have to at some point be willing to work with others. <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah, the teamwork aspect is is one of the best parts of the work, especially that I'm doing now. I mean, I think in a, in a teaching role, so um, in medical education, I'm at a residency program, and the fact that I have an opportunity to work with other attendings who do things differently, um, and we can have conversations about what the studies show and don't show, what our own experiences have brought us, and like why we practice differently in ways that I think helps um, the learners to be able to see that it's not yeah black and white it's really a whole bunch of gray um, but really that team aspect and working with learners across the way and all of our um, interprofessional teammates and all of the skills and knowledge and uh, perspectives that they bring to the conversation and care of patients is really it's really fun um, so yeah the teamwork is it's awesome for sure yeah and I like that you brought up kind of a reflective process for the um, your um, residents themselves mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. they have to see oh this is why this is how I learned it and this is why I think that it's right or that I think that's helpful to mm -hmm. a patient because you know you have to kind of guess yourself why would that be um, why would that be beneficial and I think that that's helpful to you know make sure that people know what they're doing. I feel like pre-medical education and medical education oftentimes present things as very clear, clean-cut, right and wrong answers. Mm -hmm. And so little of medicine is clean-cut, right and wrong answers. Right. And so it's just a really, I'm, I'm loving to see the ways that um, our medical students and people who want to enter medicine are really um, more equipped mm -hmm. to have some of that critical thinking and, and application and a ton of gray areas and um, more so than a lot of us who, you know, were kind of trained and, and really like, you just need to learn what you're being told and regurgitate it, right? Which is part of the process of getting through. You have to learn what you're being told is the right answer to then figure out when to break the rules or when to kind of go off protocol mm -hmm. um, in a lot of ways. But it's really not as, as clean clear-cut as a lot of times we make it seem in training and so um, yeah I'm glad that there's a little bit more nuance that's being um, brought in in the in the pre-med process for y'all. I mean if you look at just straight anatomy physiology class oh this is a bone this is a muscle and a name and function um, but when you look at your ethics class it's like here's a patient who has this this and this and you're like oh, I don't know what to do in this case because this seems like the right option but they're a religion or they can't afford that because of this or insurance doesn't cover this in like that's just 
you're, you're trying to work a way around and try to get to the, you know, the, and obviously that's where the gray area comes in. Mm -hmm. And so that makes total sense to apply it to real life. It's definitely not going to be black and white, unfortunately, for those who wish it was. But I feel like knowing, going into it, I, I knew that that was going to happen. So. Yeah, yeah. Well, I remember as a medical student, um, some of my attendings saying, oh, well, that's interesting that that's back, back in vogue. <laughs> you know, it was like, when I was in training, we did that, and then we didn't do it for a while, and now we're doing that again. And and now, having had the perspective of more than 10 years of training, I've seen that pendulum back and forth on a number of different conditions. Um, aspirin, use of aspirin for prevention of disease is um, it's like this joke. There will be something on my tombstone one day it says <laughs> and then there was aspirin <laughs> yes or no right like is it good or is it bad who knows do you like the orange flavor of the uh chewy aspirin i don't know <laughs> that's funny that's funny would you say that you're more big picture or detail oriented kind of person and um what do you think is the most used or most important of your job which oh. one well i feel like you're my career coach right now asking me those <laughs> same questions. Uh, I think right now my focus has really gotten more big picture um, within the, the leadership role that I have. I think historically I have relied on my detail orientedness to mm -hmm. um, get me through and that's what helped me succeed all the way through uh, medical school and residency and the first couple of years of practice. Um, and then I reached the positive limits of focusing <laughs> on details. Yeah. And that level of coping was, you know, more harmful than it was helpful at some point. Um, and so I, I, I think I have reached more of an integration where I'm able to focus on the details when I need to, but really looking back um, and thinking more about the big picture as well. So I'm not fixating on one versus the other. I think the the key in the role that I'm in now is actually being able to zoom in and zoom out, um, being able to see the dance floor mm -hmm. and also be on the dance floor. And knowing when to use it and which one is more beneficial. That's right, yeah. I think within different specialties within medicine, there's probably a little bit um, more highly valued one versus another, right? So sure. yeah. I think as a whole, um, family doctors tend to be probably a little bit more big picture. Um, and there's also pieces of it that, that we get, you know, pretty detail-oriented <laughs> too, so, yeah. I mean, if we're going to be talking about physicians, we gotta be a, a, at least a little bit uh, detail-oriented. Correct, correct. <laughs> about yeah. anything. Yeah. <laughs> what are you most passionate about? It does not have to be your, phys your position. Mm. It can be outside. I, coffee. <laughs> really? I love coffee. Sometimes I go to sleep early just because I know when I wake up I can drink more coffee. It's, I love that. I, I, I love it so much. I love the flavor. I love the smell. I love everything. Are you um, kind of like an aficionado in that way? No, not in the like, uh, kind of like wine tasty, like notes of this, sure. notes of that. I very much am like, I know if I like coffee and I know when I don't like coffee. I like it to be very, very strong. Um, I love the like intensity of a really dark, dark roast, strong cup of coffee. Um, I drink my coffee black. Um, mm -hmm. And I don't know, I think part of that is having been college in um, the West Coast, like near Seattle. The caffeine right? so, addiction? Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, and like the dark coffee and like all the stuff. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, no, I, I love coffee and I love my dogs. Going on to your life as a physician, um, what does a typical day look for you? Even though it varies so much because of how general your practice is, your, your medicine is. Yeah. Well, and actually, even that question is like, well, which day and which week? <laughs> So I, um, when I was in rural practice, I was doing um, uh, clinic and I also did hospital um, rounding and I was attending births and um, including newborns. So, you know, a typical day might look like, um, at that point I was like, I can't remember, like 5 a.m. to go running and then I would go in and I'd round <laughs> on my patients and then I'd 
you know, do clinic all day and then I go back and run on my patients either lunch or, or supper and sometimes I would have a birth in there um, and it was wild. When did you sleep? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, not enough. Um, and sometimes, you know, I'd be up in the middle of the night for a birth and I go home, I sleep for a couple hours and still, you know, just get, get up, up and do it again. Yeah. Um, that is not sustainable or was not sustainable for me. Clearly. Clearly. Um, now I am in a role where I have my own clinic, half mm-hmm. days, one to two a week. Um, and some weeks I'm working in the hospital with the residents and I don't have any clinic at all. Um, I have some faculty advising time with the medical students. So I have time where I'm just like meeting with medical students from MS1 to MS4 year, mm-hmm. helping on career paths, helping them kind of navigate challenging issues, professional identity development, you know, yeah. that sort of thing. Um, I do some work with our departmental um, justice, equity, diversity, and inclusion work. So creating curriculum, programming, policies, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then teaching. Um, so directly with the residents, I'm precepting them in clinic or I'm rounding in the hospital with them. I'm precepting in clinic means they see patients and then they come and talk to their patients, to me about their patients. Mm-hmm. I see them and, and kind of review their charts and just kind of make sure that they aren't missing anything like and ask questions that they have. Exactly, it's like okay. a supervision. Um, so every day is different. Uh, some days I'm in clinic all day doing some portion of that. Sometimes I'm in the hospital, sometimes I'm at home. I still attend um, attend births and, and take call for mm-hmm. hospital and, and um, attending births, but they're no longer my primary patients. You know, I'm showing up for the residents' um, primary patients. So it's like a little bit of a different role. Okay. Yeah. That rural um, schedule you are talking about before, is that something um, us pre-med and med students should expect to look for, kind of like a short-term, kind of really achy schedule, or is that something kind of mm, you chose to take on, or? Yeah, I mean, that was definitely something, like, I wanted the full-spectrum um, experience. I, you know, I wanted to do hospital. I, I did emergency room for a couple of years when I was there, when I was on call. Um, I love attending births and being present um, at births and taking care of uh, newborns and, and postpartum patients. And that is something that like is such a huge part of my practice. And I just, I love it so much. Um, and so I wanted to do all that. I wanted to be really embedded in the community and I did that and it was wonderful. Um, and I learned so much and I learned a lot about medicine. I learned a lot mm-hmm. about myself and I really missed the teaching. Um, and so that's ultimately kind of why I came back. People in rural practice have a whole variety of, of things. Some of my colleagues are still doing that type of practice. Some of them have gotten out of hospital um, inpatient medicine and they just attend births and, and do newborns plus their mm-hmm. clinic. Some people are doing clinic only. Some people are um, doing hospital and clinic only and not attending births. And, and so there's a, a variety of options even within family medicine and even in rural family medicine. So that type of a schedule is not required routine. Um, But a lot of my colleagues are still there, still doing it. Um, I would say it's probably a lot less than it used to be. Um, Most people are are getting better about setting those boundaries about what they want to do and Mm -hmm. creating a net of team of other providers who will help um, when they're not available and, and really, you know, Making it all more sustainable. Load That's right. Trying yeah. carrying the whole world on your shoulders. That's right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I was just a little worried for a second. I was like, Oh my goodness, <laughs> am I going to have to, um, you know, ignore sleep? I don't need that. <laughs> Throw yeah. it away. Yeah. But no, that's that's great to hear. That's more of a. It's depends on the person. You know, that's if that's right. your kind of lifestyle, then that's your kind of lifestyle. You like to run on three espresso shots per hour. How do you balance your work and your personal life? Um, well, I, um, I'm, my husband and I are child free, so, um, we don't have to kind of balance, um, child care and, Certainly. you know, mm-hmm. um, parenting in that way. We're very involved in our, uh, nibblings lives, um, mm-hmm. cause that's so much fun, um, even though they're further away, so we like to do that. Mm-hmm. I, I would say, um, imperfectly, uh, <laughs> 
<laughs> it's always a work in progress, you know, trying to, to figure out. There's always more work to do. Mm -hmm. And so figuring out how to give yourself permission to close the computer for the day and, and do those next pieces. Um, I love to cycle. Um, and so that's something I, I make time for. I also love reading. I have a ton of plants that all need to be repotted because it's that time of year and I need to make time for that too. Uh, so yeah, it's just kind of um, making priorities for, for those things in addition to work. And um, part of the move to the Seuss position and having, you know, when I'm on call, I'm on call instead of being on call all the time was part of my efforts to create a little bit more balance uh, for myself between home and, and uh, work life. But it's more about integrating than it is actually the balance. Because I think balance is probably unachievable to like have a full balance. It's like, how do I integrate them in a way that neither of them is in impeding on the other? You have to work for it. You know, if you want that ideal life, you want, you know, that time to make for your partner or your pets or whatever you have at home, your personal life, you want to make free time for yourself that you have to work for it. And you mm -hmm. have to you be able to give up some of those times that you could be working with patients or mm -hmm. even though it's your passion to do your work and be in medicine that you sometimes have to give that up because if you try and cure everyone in the world, you won't have any time to cure yourself. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I think there's also, uh, it's also really important to recognize that each individual is going to find joy and kind of happiness around at different types of balance, right? And so I think it's also um, a mistake to assume that everyone is going to want the same level of balance and the same timing and really just to, to think about the, um, the individualizing of what that looks like and understanding that it's going to be different for other people. I think that's where we've gotten into trouble over the years in medicine is expecting that everyone is going to want to have this incredibly other focused life without mm -hmm. any, and that was imposed on people without actually taking their right. own preferences into account. Um, I love my work. I love learning. I'm mm -hmm. such a nerd about all <laughs> things medicine um, and like getting into the nitty gritty. And so like, I can't totally separate that. When I'm reading, even if it's like for fun reading, a lot of times it's things that are going to help enhance my practice in some ways. And so when people are like, no, you can't read that on vacation. I'm like, but I want to. Like this isn't <laughs> being self, like other imposed. It actually right. is something that like brings me joy. And so recognizing that we're all just going to have different levels of that. And then also like sometimes I like to have my, you know, Saturday mornings to my like coffee yoga and a cycle <laughs> and some puppy snuggles and I don't want to do, you know, right. some of those it's other whatever things. recharges your battery and it could be related to work or not. And that's exactly. yeah. a good aspect to look at. About how many hours do you work uh, every week and how many, um, how often are you on call? Yeah. So I do um, hospital call. It's usually about um, every six to seven weeknights. Mm -hmm. And then for my weekend call, it's typically Friday, Saturday, and Sunday night. So it's like three in a row. Mm -hmm. um, and that happens once a month um, or every six to eight weeks, somewhere in there. There are times when it feels like a lot and then there are times where it feels like I could do more, right? And mm -hmm. you know, it's all ebbs and flows. And so, right. um, yeah, it's, it's, the schedule works for me right now. <laughs> Did you consider any other specialties or were you very set on like family practice? Oh yeah, great question. Uh, I considered every specialty except orthopedics. Um, <laughs> Interesting, I, <laughs> I have not heard that one. <laughs> I, well, and I, I joke with my students who are going into ortho, I'm like, thank goodness for you. <laughs> but I really dislike orthopedics. Um, personally, for my own self, I am so glad that they exist for my patients. <laughs> uh, 
I, you know, I, I came to medical school thinking I wanted to do emergency medicine. Um, part of my work in between um, college and medical school was in an emergency department. I loved working in the ER as a, an aide and a, I was a unit clerk too, so I did a lot of transcribing orders and stuff before doctors had to put in their own orders electronically in the computer. There were hucks like me. <laughs> um, and I, when I got into rotations, every rotation I did was like, ooh, I love this, I could totally do this. Oh, I love this, I could totally do this. And it was happening over and over and over again, and I was like, hmm, maybe I really could do anything, so what don't I wanna do, or what can't I live without? And I ultimately, how I landed on family medicine is there wasn't a single thing that I could do without, um, except for spending all day in the operating room. I did not wanna do that. So the opportunity that I had with family medicine was I got to see the entire range of life um, from intrauterine, um, extrauterine newborns um, to the transitions out of life um, and end of life care. I didn't have to choose um, certain organ systems that people might not have. Mm -hmm. So um, I thought a lot about OBGYN, but I didn't like the idea of never seeing people who were socialized as male or who, you know, um, and so I was like, oh, I don't wanna not do that. I liked the idea of doing procedures. I liked clinic, I liked hospital. It was just like, I couldn't narrow down. Um, you had to have the whole milk. I had to have the whole everything. <laughs> um, and then, you know, over time, I've, I've been able to narrow down a little bit more of like things I really enjoy and, and that I kind of wanna do less of, so. I'm less in love with the hospital medicine than I was when I first started. Mm -hmm. um, COVID's changed a lot of how I view the hospital. Um, and so we'll see how long I keep doing inpatient medicine. I don't know. And um, interests change. That makes total sense. Exactly. And I, I liked the fact with family medicine, I didn't have to close any doors. Um, it was really, there was a lot of opportunity to tailor my practice to what I wanted it to look like. So this is a fun one. Uh, what's your most interesting or bizarre case you've had? Oh, patient-wise. Yes. Hmm. Now you're gonna make me think, because I've seen a lot of. Oh yeah. <laughs> when you're in family med, you see everything. Mm, yeah. I think probably, oh, man, I I could say so many of these, but I think one of the one of the ones that has really um, stood out in memory was um, a child that I helped be born, I had followed um, the mom through prenatal care, um, and this kid had a lot of um, physical findings that were unusual birth. So he had natal teeth, so he was born with teeth. Oh. Um, there were some um, uh, musculoskeletal things with digits, there were some um, ear pits, there was a number of kind of like physical findings hmm. um, and low tone, kind of difficulty feeding. And, and I didn't necessarily put everything together in the time frame that I wish I would have. And he um, ended up being diagnosed with a, a genetic syndrome that, you know, really um, kind of changed the trajectory of kind of what to expect for um, the rest of his life. Um, and, you know, we diagnosed her relatively early. It was probably nine months um, okay. old, which could have been quite a bit more. But it was one of those things where, you know, you learn about all of these potential findings that are a little bit unusual and then kind of putting them together. Um, it was an unexpected diagnosis for um, the parents and, and for me. And I think it's, you know, not necessarily like interesting or bizarre in the like the weird stories type mm -hmm. of a thing, but it, it was interesting in that um, it reminded me that I had all this information and I needed to be thinking about it and putting it together. And so I'm always more caught by the things that I didn't think of right away than the things that I did. Um, and you so, get that big picture idea. That's right. And I learned a lot um, from working with this family and you know shepherding through them that diagnosis process and, and getting all the services and thinking about kind of what to expect and then planning for their next pregnancy um, and what you know we need to do to, to make sure that we caught any diagnoses early and, and really helped um, move that along. So 
yeah, I don't know. It's probably not like the most unusual, but it's one of the ones that that really sticks out in my in my mind. It can be an important case to you know why you're still in it for um, and just kind of a reminder of the important idea of looking at everything and instead of treating them like pieces of a puzzle, you know, putting it together as a whole. I think that's a great point to bring up. And kind of last question to wrap up today. Um, what advice do you have for us current pre-med students? Number one, go to therapy. What kind of therapy? Uh, Any kind? I guess so. Um, <laughs> mental health therapy. I honestly, this is something I, I wish that I had done from the very beginning. I feel like everything would have made so much more sense and been so much easier if I'd had an opportunity to process all of the stuff with someone else who knows what they're doing. Um, it has been life changing to have started therapy now and I just wish I'd started it earlier um, with all the tools that that really would have helped me navigate communicating with patients missing diagnoses making mistakes being imperfect you know all of the stuff that's there so that's number one advice and number two is you don't have to change who you are to be a physician this tent is big enough for the essence of you. And if anyone tells you otherwise, you can send me after them. I think the other piece of that is that there are so many things that make us who we are. Um, and, you know, upbringing, there's a lot of like history and all of that that's like baked into kind of who you are. And you don't have to change that. You'll learn skills to be more effective at your job and like, that's where some of those pieces, but ultimately our world and our profession is better when people bring them whole, their whole selves to it. Um, and we aren't trying to make all of the physicians be exactly the same. We are not robots. Get sleep. <laughs> Get, <laughs> make I sure might that al you are. already be missing that one. But, uh, <laughs> you should be fed and nourished you should be well watered and toileted. You should get enough sleep. You should have a good therapist. And then, and only then, can you do the work of being a medical student or a doctor. All of those things. Get embodied. Move your bodies. Do what feels good. That's what I would say. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Westy. I really appreciate you talking with me today and taking time out of your very busy schedule i'm sure um thank you for inviting me yeah thank you all so much for listening to today's interview with dr westby make sure to subscribe to our podcast and also you can find our other social media and website in the description below